Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai, and welcome to episode 56 of Little Things for Bonsai People. And this time I am joined by my co-host, Carmen Leskoviansky. How's it going today? Oh, you know, just have another cold, but... Yep. If you can't tell, I'm snipply too. Uh, it's yep. just that time of the year. In, mm-hmm. in the United States, in our part of the hemisphere, it is... Uh, it's colder than most people would want it to be. Uh, but I mean, it's fall, so going into early winter. So, you know, what are we going to do about it? I mean, the trees are loving it right now. They need the dormancy. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, we're just going to, uh, we're going to do something we haven't done in a while. We're going to talk about a particular species for bonsai. And uh, I don't think we've ever done one for elm trees. Uh-uh. Uh, we've talked about elms in passing and I uh, just wanted to do a little breakdown of different elm species and varieties and stuff that I get to work with and stuff that uh, you, Carmen, have had experience with. I'm sure you've okay. had experience with plenty, plenty of elms. That's going to be the humus, the humusia. Um And then we're going to talk about a little bit of win- winter care that's really particular or specific to um, deciduous bonsai trees. But before we get into that, I do need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons over on patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people. Uh, head on over there and become a bonsai best bud and hang out in our discord with these amazing people. Starting off our list with Tori Solis, Vicky Austin, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, Joe Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Bonsai Australia, Greenwich Gardens, Taylor Peacock, Chase Pertweet, uh, Austin Atkins, Karen Coswell, Lois Torres, AC Castle, um, sorry, Bonsai Marine, JAS Potts, Chris Fasun, Tim- Timothy Arsenal, Randy Bennett, Victrina Ridgeway, LaRon's Bonsai Yard, and we have two brand spanking new Bonsai Best Buds. Hooray! Yeah, thank you guys so much for being uh, Bonsai Buds and Best Buds, you know, to be more exact and uh, you guys can jump on into the Discord and talk bonsai with our our little community we got going on here. Uh, welcome Nancy Hoffman and Nate Murray. You know my buddy over here in the in the southern parts of Louisiana, collecting all those bald cypresses together. Thank you guys so much. And then uh, a, spe- a super special shout out to our uh, our specimen best bud, uh, uh, in, uh Bonsai Nursery. Thank you guys so much for being top tier patrons and special patrons, uh, helping us grow the show. Um, and then also I have to mention our editor, Matt O'Donnell. He is also a huge counter, you know, a huge piece of our show here. He's on our team, makes us sound smart, helps clean up the audio, makes it enjoyable to listen to. Go over to mattodonnell.com to fill out a contact form and start your own podcast show or audio engineering project with him. He's a set basis in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's an all-around awesome guy. It's in the script. I say it every time. And the past, like, three episodes, I've gotten that part really wrong. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm very snipply. I apologize uh, for the listeners out there. Uh, yeah, it's... We're it's just going to been... keep Matt on his toes. He'll be the one editing out all of our coughs and sniffles and <laughs> no, nose it... blowings. <laughs> I think it'll be fine. Um, it it kind of immerse. It's like more immersion for the listeners. Um, yeah, we just really want you guys to feel like you're living it with us. You know. Yeah, it's. I I mean, it's just like with Louisiana. It was forty degrees this morning, maybe thirty seven at the absolute lowest, uh, which is a joke compared to 
other regions, of course. Um, but what do you? What do, for you guys, though, that's chilly. I mean, that's when people start like throwing on their flannel shirts and and uh, their toboggans. Uh, <laughs> toboggans. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were at a Thanksgiving dinner a couple of nights ago, and um, let me check my audio really quick, make sure it's coming in. Does it sound clean? I was making yeah, sure. Yeah, you sound good. Okay, I've had the plug of my mic has been kind of wiggly uh but yeah we were at thanksgiving dinner a couple of nights a couple of days ago whatever and um everyone's just like wearing beanies you know like uh, oh my god we got a couple of kids in the family like when i say kids like the family's kind of gotten older now so like it's yeah, like 20, anybody under 18 no 20 years oh they're 20 okay there's yeah. kids. there's a couple of younger kids but i mean I've, yeah, we've been going. We've been doing this for a little while, so I've watched like all these kids grow up, and now everybody's like cool, and they're wearing like beanies, like the Carhartt be- beanies and stuff. Oh, like, the Carhartt beanie, yeah, yeah, yep. fancy, fancy uh, yep. farmer beanie that you could buy at a designer store for three times the value. Yeah, um, but then uh, <laughs> my wife's grandpa. Uh, grandfather comes up and he's like oh it must be toboggan season toboggans are back in style and i was like toboggan <laughs> those are sleds <laughs> yeah but i had to look it up because the man is from uh kate's grandfather is he's from tennessee and that's yeah. just like that's what that's, they call yeah that's like um this the slang and like the it's yeah. like mid midwest to to like appalachian culture it's what oh, they okay. call the hats yeah, because when you jump on your, tobo- your toboggan, you got to have your cap on. Right. I just yeah, thought that was that's so true. Funny. Yeah, you don't want your ears to get cold. Yeah, the, the <laughs> cap is a very big big deal here in the Pacific Northwest as well, and the flannel. But you know, we've all been wearing flannel since September, so. Yeah, uh, flannels are pretty optimal for you know for looking cool and stay oh, totally. staying warm a little bit. You know, huh? depends on how thick your flannel is. If it's it's a hard to get flannel. it. Yeah, it's hard to get a decent flannel. That's because they're so popular nowadays. Like this is a, a men's flannel. I find they're generally better quality. For the listeners, but they button, but they button backwards. For the listeners, Carmen is wearing a, a men's wearing, flannel shirt. I'm wearing a men's flannel shirt. It, it, I have women's flannel shirts too, but they're not quite. Yeah, the they're right. always yeah. Like I noticed with Caitlin when she gets flannels from the women's section, they're always like they're like thin as like mm-hmm. as like a napkin, and then. Yep. And yep. then they bit weird. Yep. Whereas like a real flannel is supposed to just be like a box. Exactly. And you, and you put it on and if it it's not you a up. warm box, I don't want it. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, we're just going to like side quest on flannels here, but I no, was at the fine. store and they, the women's flannels were on sale for $20 and the men's flannels were on sale for $15. And I was like, hold on a second. There's hey. more fabric in the men's flannel. They're better quality. Why would I spend twenty dollars on a women's flannel when I could spend fifteen dollars on a men's flannel? So I bought the men's flannel. Yeah, it just makes so much more sense. It you really know, does. Secret to all those people who love wearing toboggans and flannels to look cool, you can go yeah. over to like your local tractor supply store. Like, <laughs> um, we have those out here because I live in more of a rural part yeah. of um of Louisiana. And I, do you guys have tractor supply in um, Michigan? Haven't in Michigan? Yeah, for sure. In Portland, I haven't seen Tractor Supply. I think they're here, but we've got a place called Coastal, which is very similar. Okay. Coastal Farm and Feed or something. Yeah, it's just like feed and seed stores with like a little bit extra like you can buy like all your cool like Carhartt clothes and stuff and your flannels mm-hmm. that actually work. Your bib uh, overalls. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your awesome overalls. Get your your Eat. all brown and all black overalls. 
Yep. Well, now we're sponsored show. by uh, sponsored by Carhartt. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. But Carhartt. A cool That'd be company, sweet. not an official sponsor, but just a really cool brand. <laughs> yeah. They have nice hats. Yeah. If they want to sponsor us, that'd be fine. That'd be funny. But yeah, I'm also saying Make that because like, like, I do wear a lot of stuff like that because, I mean, uh, I am kind of like a bonsai <laughs> farmer, so these kind of things matter to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I'm really rough on a lot of the clothes and stuff that I wear. So You uh, have to look cool while you're doing bonsai. Exactly. Or you yeah. can just go like super old school and just like wear blue jean overalls and like a oh yeah and like a uh actual like sun visor full hat kind of oh, thing yeah. going on totally yeah, that'd be awesome anyway yeah. so uh we're talking about elm trees today elms yeah and uh before we started uh well before we decided this was going to be today's topic we were kind of i was kind of thinking like uh what types of elms should we talk about and i know carmen you haven't had a whole lot of natives is that what no, you said? I've I've really only worked with um, Chinese elms and then Zelkova, which isn't tech, which isn't an elm, but it's very similar to an elm. Mm-hmm. So those are really the only ones I've worked with. Um, but I know that there's a lot of native species, especially down south where you are, Evan, that you work with. Oh yeah, and I hear that they're very good for bonsai. Oh, they're they're excellent. Um, and I know within the Umasia family, there's also like hackberries and yeah. hornbeams. And um and Zelkova would be yeah. like you said. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we should um lump those guys in with the with the elms because I mean there is a big distinction between mm-hmm. elm and oh man elm and um hackberries and hornbeams. Yeah, I mean we can maybe br- like brush the surface, but let's let's talk more about. Elm specifically, because I'm I'm curious about which natives um, you find particularly useful. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I mean, when it comes to the Chinese elm, it's the mm-hmm. Umus harfafolia, yeah. and there's also a couple of different varieties. We have a lot of crossbreeding happening out here with uh, Chinese elm and our natives, so we get a lot of weird stuff as well. But uh, usually we get like that, and then the um, the Drake elm, which is. I think is just a another cultivar of Chinese elm. Um, you know, there's going to be somebody out there that's like much more heavy into like the the botanist side of this. I mean, you know a little bit more than I do when it comes to the identification and the you okay. know the nomenclature and the classifications of all these elms. Um, eh. So I don't know if Drake elm is necessarily a true Chinese elm. I mean, is it? I don't know. I've never heard of it. I'm going to Google it real quick. Yeah, Drake elm. I think is just some uh, kind of Ross bread. While you're looking that up, oh, it's Chinese elm or lace bark elm. Okay, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, so it's a kind of Chinese elm. Yeah, and there's a lot of different, a lot of different varieties of Chinese elm. I mean, you can mm-hmm. get seiju elm, you can get Hokkaido elm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the a lot of are so cool. The which ones? Seiju. I love oh, the tiny yeah. little leaves. The seiju is like the is like the I guess you could say the um what's the name of that candy? It's like the nerds <laughs> size elm leaf. And then you've got yeah, like teeny tiny. And then you've got like the uh the cupcake sprinkles was is, is mm-hmm. like the the Hokkaido because it's so much smaller. It's like <laughs> rice grain. Um but yeah, Chinese elms there I like Chinese elm a lot. Um don't get me wrong, they're great species. They are kind of like one of those really flexible species, kind of like the uh, Procumens Nana, 
when it <laughs> comes to could be a really simplistic just like mundane bonsai that you, know, you see a lot of them you see a lot of um like s-curve chinese elms sold at like department stores uh malls bone uh, roadside kind of stuff you know you see a lot of that you go to like these big big box stores you can, you can buy them on like walmart and amazon uh so you can find chinese elms everywhere but it's one of those trees that could be taken to another level you know with certain techniques and certain masteries with uh deciduous trees and you can make it look outstanding uh, oh yeah but totally. i there's a lot of things about chinese elms i just don't like unfortunately Ooh, um, tell me more. well there's there's elms in our native range here in the southeast louisiana that are just leagues and leagues better and when it comes to um durability and flexibility and oh, mm-hmm. pests and bugs and 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 also like growth habit and rate mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of different things that we look at here um whenever i kind of rate different elms and what would be a good species for different styles and stuff like that the chinese elm is not that not that's one of the things like i guess i can kind of say it down the line it's like um dura- durability of the chinese elm it's it it's pretty durable. I mean, okay. they they can take a lot of abuse. Um, yep. Now, when I say abuse, I mean like since we're talking about a beginner's podcast kind of topic here with elms, um, abuse would be not fertilizing and not watering correctly. Um, so they will still kind of grow for you and they'll look strong, but mm-hmm. they are they're fighters and yeah, they get really fire. leggy and and um and the growth they'll get just really pathetic looking if you don't fertilize them so they are high demand when it comes to fertilizing but they're they're fairly durable like i've seen some chinese elms go completely drought and lose all their leaves and then yep. if you catch it within the right time frame you can water it and they'll come right back yeah um but it's like a restart switch that it's like trying to jumpstart your car and if you jumpstart your car and your battery is partially charged and you're like okay this is good as long as I let the car run for several hours and I drive it and stuff before I shut it back off. But if you jumpstart your car and the battery's half dead and then it dies on you again and you're like, oh, and you try to crank it. And we've all been there where you're like, oh, I really need to get to work this morning. And your car, it's like, I swear it turned over and now it would turn over again and the battery's just like done. That's how I kind of think of Chinese elms. Like it drops its leaves the first time. Shame on, you know, shame on uh, you or shame on, you know, the plant whatever the saying is what's the sh- what's the say on that uh, uh shame on you second time is shame on me i think but yeah, really yeah. it's your fault both times but yeah yeah <laughs> it really is and then like yeah if you push that tree over the edge it's gonna just die on you yeah. so uh they are durable but not that durable and then when it comes to like flexible uh flexibility is like what i refer to as like is bending goes like if you wanted to bend mm-hmm. even the finest twigs on Chinese elm, they have a tendency to be more brittle than other mm-hmm. varieties of elm that I work with, which is sad because there's so much that could be done. Uh, when you want to fully wire a deciduous tree, you have to be very careful. Um, yeah. I mean, they could break right off at the base of where they're growing from the trunk. They could, you know, you could split a branch by just bending a branch to like like five degrees to the side, and the branch will split in half like a banana. Um, so it's just like they're they're good for they can be bit but it's it's always like that thing it's like people are like why don't you just cut and grow 
instead of trying to wire them all the time, which I mean, that alternative, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then one of the other things that kind of lets me down with the Chinese elm is that the bark, you know, I mean, yeah. the bark can be really just uninteresting. Some yeah. varieties of lace bark exfoliate. Yeah, lace bark and cork bark. Those are really nice. But just the standard one is kind of lackluster. Yeah, you get like this grayish, brownish kind of bark that looks, it's papery because it's so thin. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you have like some kind of interesting scars or deciduous tree type characteristics like nodules or burls on the trunk or, you know, some kind of something that looks like it's naturalistic to what like a deciduous tree would do from like just being older. Otherwise, it's pretty smooth. And like Here. smooth trunk deciduous trees are better reserved for like stuff like stilwartias um, and beech trees. Okay. Uh, whereas the Chinese elm, the the leaves and the growth habit and the way that the twigs look without leaves on them are just not as beautiful as like stilwartia, hornbeam, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what do you- I've also found that Chinese elm can be semi-evergreen. Like oh, yeah, a lot of weird. times it'll be it'll be one of the last ones to turn yellow and drop it's so messy but sometimes if it's warm enough it'll stay green almost through the whole winter yeah i've heard some people say that chinese elm is a semi tropical Mm -hmm. yeah yeah they can be a little bit more sensitive to cold than natives and it is and it's in the name chinese it's a Mm -hmm. uh, chinese asian oriented uh uh, plant so I'm guessing it comes from areas that are very temperate comparable to you know Portland Louisiana or any other other places that are temperate uh, yeah. similar to us back at the university we treat them uh, similar to the azaleas as far as cold storage goes we try not to let them freeze too hard um, you know whereas some things will let them do a, a real hard freeze below freezing and uh, but the azaleas and stuff like that we'll keep it you know 32 between 32 and 42 really and that's what we do with the chinese elms too we try to keep them a little bit warmer i feel like in the past we've even kept them in the greenhouse over the winter and displayed them but um that's one thing that if you do that you do want to eventually give it a cold period so that it can go dormant and rest otherwise if you push it too far you know it'll kind of peter out with energy yeah you really want to you really want to be a little bit more consistent with warmth and light and stuff with the Chinese elm. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get some kind of serious performance out of it. So, yeah. And, and performance, whenever I say performance, when it comes to deciduous trees, I'm always referring to its ability to become twiggy and dense. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, one of the main reasons why I even got into bonsai in the first place is because I want it to have a really beautifully dense twiggy deciduous tree or two in mine and i've got a couple in my collection now um but it's sad because well i mean it's not sad that i have deciduous trees but um (laughs) it's 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 kind of a thing where i have these chinese elms and they're great but then my hornbeam and my winged elm and my cedar elm and my water elms are just way twiggier, fine twigs. Mm-hmm. We're talking like, like wit, like just that beautiful. Like it, it reduces down to like almost nothing. It's like hair thin, yeah. almost twigs. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the, some varieties of Chinese elms are just not capable of that. 
Yeah. Um, and I know I'm over here just saying like I'm like just overhead over the head like just bashing Chinese elms. No, I don't think so. I think you're just it's true. I mean, I've worked with Chinese elms, and I there's something I struggle a little bit with in getting that twigginess. It's one of those things that if you cut too much, it doesn't replace it as fast as you would think it does. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 a little bit tricky to get it to the twigginess that you want it but you can get it there and it's beautiful when you do but if the native elms twig up better and faster then heck we should be using those so yeah i mean nothing against chinese elms some people have great luck with them and um i know uh i mean i've seen gorgeous ones but yeah i mean i'm curious about about these natives yeah the natives uh are in my opinion superior to i mean you uh you have the pleasure of being near to uh, Andrew Robson's nursery, mm-hmm. and he's got plenty, plenty of deciduous, and he's got oh, yeah. he's got some elms that I've seen there that are abs- absolutely amazing. Lovely. He's got yeah. more Japanese maples, I think, just in just overall percentage wise, which makes sense for you guys' range. Yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, the the natives are way better. I can go through that list of of yeah, things, yeah. Of I'm gonna write. I've got I, my pen. I'm gonna write them down. Uh, but yeah, right before we do <laughs> write down our list of Chinese elms, uh, let's let's hear from our sponsor, Bonsai Bar. This podcast is supported by Bonsai Bar, the beginner bonsai workshop popping up in breweries all across the Northeast. Bonsai Bar is two hours of tiny tree goodness disguised as a night out with friends. Come grab drinks, create a new tree, and watch as your friends and family get the bug for bonsai. Bonsai Bar is always looking for teachers and assistants, and you listen to this podcast, so you're probably already qualified. Bring your knowledge out to the bar. Apply today. Find event tickets, contact info, and more at BonsaiBar.com. Thank you, Bonsai Bar, for being one of our main sponsors of the show. Um, Yeah, and thank you, uh, Timothy Arsenal, uh, the tree EO. Yeah, thank you, guys. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Chinese Elms. (laughs) <laughs> the branch manager the branch manager yeah um oh god yeah tree jokes dad tree jokes all day um but yeah the um native elms that that grow here in louisiana that i've seen you're gonna have uh the humus varieties are gonna be uh humus aleta sorry good it's i'm being a little groggy and sick humus aleta is my uh one of my absolute favorites it's kind of like my cornerstone of bonsai where it comes to it, that species taught me how to grow and develop and cut you know grow branches out cut back regrow build deciduous structure uh it's the winged elm uh they grow out they have a great quirky uh just like this it's quirky it's a quirky quirky tree quirky quirky tree quirky 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 tree yes i'm saying two different words there but it's quirk is that it's very quirky <laughs> sorry uh if this is your first episode i'm sorry uh but the um but yeah the winged elm spelt holds a special place in my heart they also called uh witch elm or oh, wahoo the elm. yeah they wahoo! Call it, yeah sorry <laughs> i don't know why but that's what it's called like in like alabama and like northern that's parts funny. Of we've got a there's a um a euonymus in michigan that's a native that's called a wahoo and it just it cracks me up wahoo it, and it's a um so that is so give me the common name on the udama the Yalalis. <laughs> oh the the, the, the sorry 
butchered that Euonymous, name. Uh, Euonymous, uh, it's yeah, it's the the Wahoo. Hold on, I gotta figure it out. I don't remember it, what it's not it's a called. spindle tree, is it? No. Uh, hold on, Euonymous Wahoo. Hold on. Um, oh, Atropurpurius, the American Wahoo. <laughs> Great. That tells me everything I need to know. Um, but for our listeners, you can go Google that and go see what type of tree that is. It a good deciduous tree in in that range? Uh, I, it's it's more of a it's a native. It's a lance. It's a, like a shrub. Um, oh. I don't know if it's ever been used for bonsai, but I know you can use uh, the Euonymus alata, which is the the winged burning bush. Oh, that's where I've one in the yard. Okay. That's that's a um, but I think you want to miss Atropurpurius, the American Wahoo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a kind of burning bush, and it's native, and it won't get invasive. So, um, yeah, that well, one would be interesting to try as a as a bonsai. The uh, the burning bush, the the actual Alata one, the winged mm-hmm. burning bush. Yeah, that one is a big interest of mine too, as well, because of the wing dome and also. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweet gums uh, are liquid amber that grows here. I think it's yeah, the yeah. Uh, liquid amber stratifolia um, grows here in southern Louisiana. And it also has wings. And when we say yeah. wings, it's got the branch and then it's got on either side where the buds occur. It's alternating buds. And where the buds occur, there's a gap. And then like it comes up and there is this, it's a plated corky wing. It's really, mm-hmm. it's really weird looking. That's why they also call it witch elm because it's got like this weird spooky vibe to it when it's dor- it, when it's dormant it looks amazing yeah and the um and the wings can vary in size when the when the tree's young it can um have smaller wings and then they'll grow really fast and the wings will get enormous and they'll the branches it the, makes the branch look bigger than it really is too which helps me with uh with kind of cheating on branch diameter sometimes <laughs> on certain trees uh sure. that's not why i use the tree but i just think it's sure. a really <laughs> sure Sure. Whatever. <laughs> but I do really love my uh my alatus, my humus alatus. And then uh a very, very close relative that's also a uh corky elm that grows here. It's actually uh I do Austin Bonsai Society every once in a while and they have this a lot. It's the humus crassifolia or the um the Texas cedar elm. It's an amazing, amazing tree. If you're in the States and you're kind of like hearing all these like elm varieties. Uh, I may have talked about these elm varieties in the past on previous episodes. I'm having like deja vu right now, but I do talk about mm-hmm. elm a lot. I've given a lot of different workshops and lectures and classes and whatever um, where I talk about these because it's one of my primary uh, species that I, I work with. But yeah, the Texas cedar elm, you guys are taking notes. Take note on this tree. This tree is amazing. Uh, it's like... It's like a slightly improved winged elm, so it's it's tougher to get them to to look certain ways when it comes to like you have to kind of grow them from seed um, or from a cutting to get that like ultimate trunk that you really want because their growth habit is very straight. And the winged elm will also grow very straight, but at least it has a little bit of a different quality to it. The um, the cedar elm, the winged elm are debated whether or not they're almost the same tree in some circumstances, but I think that's just a lot of false identification. Uh, the cedar elm or the uh, Eumus crassifolia is a is more of a dry, a drier, arid climate type tree. It can take high humidity situations like what, what we have here, like 100% humidity, to more of a deserty uh, environment where you will actually see it growing more native. Uh, they call also call it 
uh, like the cow pasture tree. Like it's just a weedy tree that kind of just grows wherever it can. And then uh, cows tend to eat it down into like little bushes. And those are usually the targets for collection. Um, You go to like a cow pasture in like northern Texas and mid Texas and you go to like where the cows go into the wood line, you'll find a lot of these guys, they'll be chewed into like little shrubbery um, because I mean, they're, they're just lit, they're everywhere. Um, they grow in the cracks of concrete. Uh, they grow in the sides of buildings sometimes, like old brick buildings. I've seen elms, like cedar elms and wingdoms growing out the sides of just anywhere. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, these guys also have a winged habit as well, but it's not nearly as prominent as the winged elm, but their bark is distinct. The winged elm is a little bit more of like a smooth, but warty, kind of almost like a hackberry bark <laughs> where it could build up. And then a uh, the cedar elm is like a bluish green from a distance. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's very it's it's and the the bark is very fissury as well. Uh, um, it's a it's a beautiful tree, um, and you can really like the winged elm from a distance looks kind of orangey, kind of grayish, and then a uh-huh. cedar elm from a distance can look kind of bluish. And it's very very easy once you see it. You're like, oh okay. When the first the first time you see a cedar elm, you just know. Um, and then also the leaf shape is going to be more round. It's going to be more. It's going to be what's that called? The leaf shape, whatever. Because winged elms are super pointed and they're narrow. In, in like most cases, late and then round would be more like. Oh my god. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you know that that shape. Um, but yeah, they're. Because they they look more like a Chinese elm leaf. The Chinese elm can actually be very round as well. Um, elms tend to have serrated, um, pointed leaves that are simple in shape. They could be kind of like pointy, or they can be more round on the tip. Um, and a huge distinction between a lot of these native elms and a Chinese elm. So if you pick up like a Chinese elm or a zelkova, um, yours you know your zelkova is not technically an elm like you said earlier, Carmen, but it's more symmetrical. In the way yeah. the leaf is shaped, the chi- the cedar elm and the winged elm have asymmetrical leaves. So if you look Purple. at the leaf, it's actually shorter and narrower on one side. Like it looks like it, it got like got smushed a little bit on one side, and the other side is more fat and round. It comes around um, towards the tip of the of the leaf, and also they are doubly serrated. Uh-huh. Um, some um some of them are even more. Uh, I don't know if there's like beyond doubly serrated if there's a name for that uh i don't think so i'm looking at a bunch of leaf shapes <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. The, ser- the serration is whenever there's uh the little pointy bits coming off the leaf on the edges um but yeah the, the serration is a little bit more on a um winged elms and cedar elms have double so you look you have, you have the points and then you look in between the points and there's another set of points it's oh like my sh- god it's like shark teeth you know there's yeah. just like there's another row um but yeah the um yeah that's a really good defining characteristic really. of the elm if you're if you're trying to identify it having that that weird at the base of that leaf where it's not um symmetrical and it has that weird little you know dip in on one side that's re- a really really good way to um <laughs> know that you've got it sorry I've got uh, you laughing at me no no I was laughing at my someone's trying to 
Uh, I'm at the nursery right now. I'm getting, was getting a phone call. And I'm just like over here, just looking at the phone as it rings. Yeah, no, 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 no. I was, I was also paying attention to you. I'm sorry, Carmen. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, but anyway, um, but yeah, those are like pretty top tier elms there, in my opinion, especially for our range. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of you kind of move along and you get to like um, you get to the American elm, which is the Yumus Americana. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I mean, that's a really great species for for bone size. Well, but they have they tend to have a little bit of a bigger um, leaf than the other varieties that I just mentioned, because yeah, do they do they ever reduce? They can. I've not worked with them very much. They can. I've not seen them very much as as bonsai either. Um, they show up every once in a while. Um, and I mean, it's just because people choose Zelkova or Chinese elm, or may, I, and I'm seeing more and more cedar and winged elms pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Americana is it's 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 the tree that you know that was mostly affected by the uh, the Dutch elm disease. There was a lot of them were wiped yeah. out at that time. Um, and because they they were bigger elms. They're like one of the bigger elms that we have in our country, in our in our hemisphere. Um, so I just yeah, those, sent you some leaf shapes if you're curious. I'm very curious. Chat. Was it on, that was chat. Yeah. It's in chat. So we can go through and look at that. Yeah, there's a really beautiful... I think it's an American elm in I'm, there's one I used to drive by almost every day to work and it was just it's just this gorgeous upright fountaining tree it's it's hard to describe like it's just it's very vase shaped you know it's just it's beautiful um I don't yeah. know if it's an American elm because so many of them were wiped out for Dutch elm disease but it's it's something I should I should get closer to it and figure it out if they ever cut that down, I'm going to be really annoyed. Yeah. I don't people... think they will. I think it's like in a business's landscape and it's safe, but you never know. Yeah. It's it it's sad because, you know, sometimes these older trees will get cut because they're in the way of expanding, you know, cities or rural areas. Yeah. Um, whenever they get older and, uh, and then... They start like what one of the issues we have down here with our older uh, growths, our older stands of uh, trees and stuff is that is that whenever they do a lot of the subdivisions around Um, here, they put a lot of clay and they rework the ground and then they like spray the crap out of everything with like herbicides. Yeah. And I just even though the tree's big and mighty and old, um, the genetics are just geriatric at that point and the tissues and stuff and they just can't take it anymore. Um, that's sad. And it, and then they build parking lots around some of these older trees. Like our live oaks get subjected to this. They get parking lot built around them. And why would a why would a live oak it really enjoy like gasoline and oil leaks into its root system? Right. You know, it's so, like here have no soil penetration. <laughs> yeah, it's it's no kind way. of over now. You know, like for yeah. those older trees, unfortunately. So oh. if you see an old American elm. They do have like that base shape, like Carmen said. That's um, that is typical habit of a lot of these trees. So I was one of the things I was going to uh, get to with the the growth habit of American versus um, like the winged elm and the cedar elms. The winged elm and the cedar elm tend to be a little bit of an understory tree, uh, and then mm-hmm. they kind of fight for that sunlight. And if they can get big, they will. 
They will get yeah. probably around 30 to 40 feet tall. The American elm is is capable of reaching heights of up to um, I think around fifty to sixty, even like twice the height. Can yeah, they're bigger than that. Big trees, massive. Big, big trees. Yeah. Um, let's see. There is one in in Canada that is is like one hundred and forty feet. Ooh. It's just a monster. Wow. Um, and then it has a six point four three foot uh, diameter. Wow. Um, it's know. just it's just monsters and uh so yeah and the leaf the leaf size does tend to be bigger the growth habit they either can grow like really big base shape uh or we'll talk about elm shapes in a second uh or they can grow into like this this uh this other shape it's kind of like an open broom style <laughs> um which is also what i call the park tree it's like yeah. it, it's like the fancy big park tree that everybody takes photos under and it's mm-hmm. it's uh, super aesthetic and it never has to worry about anything and normally that tree's in like an arboretum and mm-hmm. uh, and it's really well taken care of and they have an arborist that, that visits it like every once in a while and checks it for diseases and mm-hmm. um, and then you've got like the other, the other shapes which would be like your typical flame or mm-hmm. brooms and so when I say open broom, an open broom just is just saying an older an older deciduous tree like this tends to have gaps in its foliage. You can see through it pretty easy, um, almost like what a live oak or a coastal oak would look like when it's older. Yeah. Um, just because it's able to spread out, it doesn't want to become pointed. It just wants to get wide. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost looks like it's weeping like towards the lower branches because it's so big and wide and hanging open that some of those low branches look almost like they're facing downwards and the leaves on like winged and cedar can be anywhere from uh like an inch and then you could reduce them down to a astounding like like one sixteenth of an inch teeny tiny you can make them i showed a a winged elm one time at a at a convention and somebody was like oh that's a nice chinese elm and i was like no that's 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 native wing wing." they're like oh crap um (laughs) But the, the American elm, you can get it smaller, but it's going to be a struggle um, because it just wants to be such a large tree. But I mean, they do reduce surprisingly well, um, yeah. especially when they get root bound. And that's another mm-hmm. thing we'll have to talk about with deciduous trees, especially with elms in just a moment once we get through our uh, our list of other natives. But we also have a uh, slippery elm. Ooh, it's, slippery elm. Forgot about that one. Yeah. The uh, Umbus, uh rhubar. Or uh, rubra, um, I don't get to really work with a lot of these because they're a little bit beyond my range. They they grow more up into uh, like the Carolinas, <laughs> but uh, they're also a very beautiful tree. Very uh, also a pretty big tree as well. Um, they can they can grow to uh, to a pretty decent size. Not nearly as gigantic as the um, as the American can the Americana, but there are records of them being reaching like right at like very close to 100 feet as well um i've seen some slippery elm bonsai and they're they make a gorgeous tree um, cool. but i haven't had to i haven't been able to interact with them a lot but they're also referred to as um they're kind of they're all, they have like that same issue that that the cedar and the winged elms have they're uh the americanas and the slippery elms or the uh the humus rubra are confused as the same species in most cases yeah, yeah. um and then um and then that's i mean there there are plenty of other elms but these are kind of like talk about water elms 
Yeah, I'm going to bring those up because there's okay. outliers. There's outliers. Because okay. um, like Cletus, uh, the uh, the sugarberry mm-hmm. is was considered for a little while to be an elm species as mm. well as the winged elm. So these are two outliers that make amazing bonsai as well. And so the sugarberry are the Cletus uh, Le Vigita. You know, I'm trying my best. Uh, with, with these Latin names, sugarberry. Sugar. It's a southern sugarberry, so it's oh, a Celtus. Well, Celtus. Yeah. Celtus. I say Cletus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Le. Oh man. Le yeah. Vigata. Celtus Le Vigata. The yeah the uh, the second part of its nomenclature or its name is like Sugar it's like berry. it's like Tol- it's like Tolkien Elvish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with Le an Vigata. A before an E. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. But yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful. Uh, water loving kind of more up on the uh, the banks of rivers and marshes and uh, swamps here yeah. and um, and it makes a little berry and sometimes a little all elms flower but this one's a little bit more obvious it's like yeah. it's got that weird flower that looks like it's a cup within a cup within a cup of flowers yeah and it kind of dangles down um, hornbeams do this really well no beaches <laughs> I'm sorry the uh, the American beach does this really well it's a beautiful turns it's greenish turns brown and then it dangles from the tree um and the seed bodies kind of just fall out of it this the hackberries do that as well also called uh southern sugar berries um but they're confused with um common hackberry which also is not a bad bonsai uh species or a species for bonsai but the sugar berry is more superior because it's got a warty bark uh, where it has the bark where it stands on top of each other kind of like a pine tree does but there's space between it so it's very weird mm-hmm. looking it looks like it is weird looking I saw a picture of it it it's, looks like something's wrong with the tree it's cool yeah but it's it's a very interesting trunk and if you can maintain that bark it will kind of it'll get thicker and it'll it'll get kind of uh, it, it'll just be one of those trees in your collection where somebody would be like what in the hell is that <laughs> um, but it has all the capabilities of an elm so it can grow very it's actually one of the more finely twigged species that we can get here in the states uh. um and then another tree that was confused to be an elm is the uh, planera aquatica which is the water elm it's uh oh so it's a okay so it's not technically an elm it's a it's a, a, a sycamore it's in the umasea it's in it's within the umasea family yeah but it's a planera a planer tree is the um it's the sequoia. No, no sycamore. No, sorry, more. Yeah, sycamore. Yeah. I'm sorry. Planar aquatica, the water elm. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I always thought it was actually an elm, but it's a ah oh, neat. It's its own like little subclass of Umasia, and yeah, that is the reason why I'm going to bring them up last. I mean, we're talking about elms for bonsai, unfortunately, but the one tree that I say stands out above all the others is this this species here. This, <laughs> This species is very under uh, underutilized in bonsai. I've seen a fair share of them as bonsai. Um, I brought mine to nationals this past year, uh, mm-hmm. and I know I made a I made a big deal. Y'all probably heard about it uh, when we went to nationals and we talked about all the trees there. And I was like, "Oh, I was the one winged elm since the Von well, Dancing kind of, winged elm." Kind of a big deal. It, it is a big deal because it's a, big deal. a lot of these species just don't get used as bonsai, and they're understudied and they're you know like they're not they don't become popular or in vogue until 
somebody uses them and someone's like, oh, that's that's nice. Where can I get this from? It's like, oh, wouldn't you know, like somebody's got thousands of these for sale as bonsai or, you know, they're easy to go dig up. Um, So here in southeast Louisiana, like Wing Dome's been on people's radars for decades. Uh, It it was it's it's just as it's not nearly as collected as much as like a bald cypress would be. Uh, I would say like for every one bald cypress that gets collected, um, someone, I mean, well, that's wait for every one wing water elm, Jesus, for every one water elm that's collected in Louisiana, you got like a hundred bald cypresses collected, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I think it should be the opposite. I think that they should be collected alongside bald cypresses at the same rate. Um, I mean, don't, don't, uh, don't collect all the trees in your range and then completely ruin the ecosystem. But you can collect them when they're very young and grow them out and they grow very fast. So you can actually thicken the trunk really well on them. Uh, they are a water elm for a reason because the ones that we have here grow in standing water and even grow, they call it, they're called aquatica in their Latin name because they also can grow underwater. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Um, they can, um, and that's something that's not mentioned. If you go to like online sites or like, you know, wherever, like uh, plant identification, like LSU Ag, like Louisiana State University, um stuff and you don't see that very often nobody really talks about that water habit like they will grow in water just like a cypress will do just like a um a button bush plant like a button bush tree will do they will they will grow in water and they will not complain and uh, there's yeah. one of those few species where you can take it from it's like it's like james bond's james james bond's uh car that turns from like a boat into like back into a car you know it, <laughs> It has that capability of being very versatile, um, so you can't overwater it. You can underwater it for sure. Um, I remember your water elm at Nationals being very thirsty. Yes, it was yeah. like it's a hundred degrees in this building, and there's no sunlight, and I don't know what's going on. And so yeah, the tree it was just, unhappy. It just dropped so, all of its leaves on the way home. <laughs> just to to clarify the nomenclature, because I I might have screwed people up there saying that the planar aquatica was like a sycamore. I I looked it up and. So the, the big difference is that they are different families. So the the actual sycamore tree is in a different family than the mm. the water elm. But the names do sound similar. So it's that's curious. But I just didn't want people to be like, yeah. God, Carmen, your nomenclature is wrong. And then, <laughs> the, you know. I mean, it's planaria and it's so close. It's very close to Platinus occidentalis, which is the the sycamore so yeah, yeah yeah but no sycamores are in a whole other family so yeah. interesting yeah, water elm naturally small leaf uh naturally smaller tree can get big sometimes but uh yeah. more of a shrubby habit uh twiggy twigginess out of this world uh just like the hackberry gets super fine twigs uh by just enormous amounts of just like it it's one of those trees where you, you trim it and then you go back later to check and you're like, I didn't even have to try. And this thing like <laughs> multiplied it, it, it refined, it went into refinement for me. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like the American hornbeam, we can also kind of touch lightly on that one, but uh, the American hornbeam and the water elm could be very, very similar in growth habit because they're mm-hmm. an understory tree. They have a tendency to grow more uh, windy through through their, yeah. their own branching so they're always seeking light from from like a side like a more of a um not a basically dominant kind of growth habit but more of an 
really spread out uh, growth habit. So they're yeah, they're, they're looking branched. for light. They're not just going straight up. Yeah, they, and they're they're evolved to just grow out and flat, as opposed mm-hmm. to your Americana, your slip, slippery elm that grows straight up and like bolts toward the sky because it it knows it's it's the big tree. It's it's the king of all the elm yep. trees. But the the water elms and the um and the hornbeams they they have this habit to them where it's just if you want to grow a tree that that will make intricate little pieces of movement and muscling in the branches for you and you don't have to try too hard and you can really cut and grow these trees and get natural forms out of them water elm and american horn beams are kind of like the answer there and then yeah and if you slow them down if they get root bound and then you develop a really healthy root bound kind of root system in the pot then you always give them some you have a good optimal drainage you have a good uh really nice wide container for for holding a lot of good moisture in their pot they will really perform well they will yeah. grow a branch out you cut back the branch will come out finer you cut back it'll come back finer and finer it's just like you have to like try and for them to not get really fine branching like they do yeah um you have to butcher them back you have to cut <laughs> branches off you have to be like stop it stop being so good like stop growing so many fine branches um but then that in turn can be challenging because like we had talked earlier um you said you have yourself a little hornbeam and it's hard to develop Mm -hmm. density or uh girth in lower branches on the trees yeah it's trying really hard to grow up and it's putting more bulk up top than down low and i'm trying to contain it because i really like some of the movements up top but they're getting too thick I don't want to have to cut them off because they're really weird and cool, but I might have to cut them off. That is, or maybe I'll just cut the low branch off. I don't know. That is one of the biggest letdowns with developing certain elm varieties or certain Umacea growth habit mm-hmm. trees that are un- especially understory trees. Yeah. Um, because they want to fountain out. They want to grow. Mm-hmm. It's it the uh, the more bush habit Umacea like the like the cedar or the the winged elm. Um, they will. If they if they lose the top of the tree, they're it's in their genetics to just push more out up up and out, and then the lower branches will shed over time as well. Um, and so that's something you have to really watch out with when you're developing these these uh these branch these branches on your your trees like your deciduous umacea, is that those lower branches are prone to fall off because they will become weak, they will become shaded out and then the tree's just going to do what it does naturally it's just going to give up on that it's going to make it weak intentionally and it's going to that it's going to die back gradually so you have to really keep the top of your deciduous or your umacea uh elm varieties in check and one of the things that well unfortunately we have to practice every once in a while is we have to like basically behead our older deciduous bonsai trees uh-huh. um because like you said like it just puts all the energy into the top of the tree and then you'll have this super duper dense crown and look amazing up there. And then your lower branches are just slowly kind of just lagging behind and then, then they'll start having some dieback. And then the top will swell and you'll have all these branches, even if you have them where they're supposed to be, where you won't have, um, you don't, if you, even if you don't have like bar branches or whirling branches, you have your branches where they're supposed to be, they'll still get big uh, up the top and you'll lose, you'll lose a lot of your tapering and you'll start to re to inverse taper at the top just because that's yeah. how it is. And so one of the best things you can do in that situation is air layer the top off and make a, a really awesome show in and then hey, cut, ooh. and then cut down 
to the next set of branching that will resolve that taper issue you have. Hmm. That's a good and, idea. And in turn, it also rechannel energy back down to the bottom part of the tree. So when you thin out that top of the crown, you'll lose a pretty significant amount of twigging up there. But I mean, with deciduous trees, it's so easy to rebuild that. Yeah. And for that moment, the tree will go, oh, crap, and it'll rechannel its energy. And then you can pinch out the growth in the spring off of those branches that were pre-existing and you can push the energy down and let the bottom yeah. run. Yeah, I think part of the problem is I've been letting all of it run and then pruning it all at the same point where maybe I need to restrict the top growth sooner in the season yeah, and then let with- the bottom growth run longer. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give that a try next year. I'll send you a picture of it. It's a cool, it's a weird, cool little tree. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we can put that in the Discord too for everyone to kind of see. Um, you can see my problems. <laughs> I'll put my problems out for everyone to see. <laughs> but um but no the um that i mean that d- d- i don't want to discourage anybody from growing elms you know i was it's like i was being very discouraging in the very beginning about chinese elms but at the same time it's like that's a great tree to learn on it taught me a lot of my things that we need to do uh as far as developing bonsai and deciduous trees especially but the <laughs> winged elm is really the one that got me mm-hmm. further along um as far as like if you're in the United States, I think just about any elm in any climate will work except for like obviously super alpine environments like you're up elevations really high or if you're in a desert environment like, you know, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, it's going to be a little bit more challenging to grow certain elm species because they are very heavy water loving plants. Um, mm-hmm. They don't like to be super duper wet, but they do love uh, just being moist all the time. Um, I found though with Chinese elms, they don't like to be as wet. They really get cranky if they're well, moist for too long. But all the, the native elms seem to like water a lot more. The that's especially true with the cork bark elm, the cork yes. bark Chinese elm. That's yep. like borderline succulent almost in some cases. Yeah, like I'll water my I'll water my water elms and my American hornbeams, my other native, uh, you know. You must see, uh, I'll water the, the hell out of those in the morning and just give them a nice drench and make sure that they get full saturation. And I'll even pass over on hotter days on them again. And then the, the, the plate, the plated, um, cork bark elm, one good watering, and then I just leave it and I let it dry yeah. down. Um, the nice just, thing about that I found about the Chinese elms though is that they'll tell you when they're being overwatered because their leaves will turn yellow. Oh, yeah. Start to fall. So, like, you can catch it and, you know, before your leaves start to fall. But if they're starting to turn a little bit yellow, that's a great sign that, like, you're overwatering. And so back off. Great. It's nice when the tree tells you before it just, like, completely shits you know. the bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, too much water. But no, the, um, the other, yeah, the other thing with, like, yellowing leaves is that if you're overwatering too, that also tells you a lot about root density as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things that that happen with with elms. They do need a really really high um, aerobic oxygen aerobic soil. Mm-hmm. That's that's just that's where they really you know except for the the weirdos like the water elms and the hornbeams they love to sit in standing water sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the typical elms they like aerobic soil a lot. And so yeah. if you get yellowy leaves or dieback, there's one of two things happening. The roots are suffocated 
mm-hmm. or the roof, the roots are suffocated. <laughs> so it's right. like it's like either they're suffocated because you don't have good drainage, or they're suffocated because you're overwatering it, and they both play right into each other. So yeah. that's a good point too. Yeah, I think when I was struggling with these elms, it was in a soil mix that was not ideal. So um, I was in my past, and now will be remedied. Yeah. Um, so. I would say another thing about elms is that if you love your bonsai, which all of us do, but if you really love your bonsai and you want to be like a busy work person, like if you're a busy body, um, it's kind of like, you know, like you get Japanese black pine if you want to be a busy body for pine trees because you're always engaged with the tree. There's always something to do. Japanese black pine, juniper, azalea, Mm -hmm. elms. Elms are so... (laughs) Oh yeah, trident maples. Oh, I, sometimes I'm just like I don't even want to look at you, trident. Yeah, because they, they wait they, your they, turn. I've already pruned you three times this week. Yeah, exactly. And then it gets out of shape, and you got to cut a whole branch section off because oh. it got too big. And you're like, all right. And then it doesn't back bud because yeah, trident maples are a whole other thing. I you don't made it to, cranky. Yep. Anyway, yeah. I yep. don't. I don't want to talk about tridents. I love the busybody elms way elm. Better. Let's get back to the busybody elm. Yeah, the busybody uh, elm trees. But yeah, elms will give you something to do every season. They'll give you their full season trees, so they'll give you something to look at every year. So typical uh, chart, year chart for an elm uh, is going to be pretty involved. But you know, once you get a hang, the hang of it, it doesn't really get that um, that complicated. But before I do start talking about care guides for elms and starting to get towards the end of our episode here we do need to mention that the show is also sponsored by bonsai central uh, that is going to be da, da, da. it's going to be the, the new the newest bonsai uh convention that's it's it's uh this is an inaugural launch uh coming up may 3rd through 5th 2024 it's going to be at the gateway convention center in uh collinsville illinois and um it's going to just be an amazing show. It's going to be very comparable to the national show and the Pacific Bonsai Expo. Uh, they're going to have bonsai professionals from all, literally all over the world. Uh, this is their 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 first first time they're they're cutting the the red tape on the show, and they're just going they're going big. all out, going Go all out. They got Bjorn Bjornholm. They got Tyler Sarad. They got uh, Mira Heidick. Uh, they've got Andrew Robson, Young Cho, Mario Stenberger. Uh, just amazing lineup of of headlining artists with workshops you can get in with them. Uh, you also got a bunch of vendors there. They're going to be just from all over the United States. Um, you've got my boy Byron Myrick doing just boss, uh, just awesome, te- highly textured utilitarian style pottery, bonsai pottery. Here you got Greenwich Gardens, one of our one of our patron channel sponsors here. Thank you guys so much. Uh, you get to have me. Ta-da. I don't know if anybody's excited for that, there. but I'm going to be there. Everybody, everybody go bother Evan. Everybody go crazy. They're gonna, you're going to have uh, uh, tick, uh, two, uh, two, uh, man, I, I'm butchering his name. <laughs> now. Now. What's his, what's to, his name? Is? Totu Take, I think. Totu Take Boneside. I think so. Ceramics, that guy is. He's great. Now he's really great. He's hot. He's he's big right now. Like. Go go get his pottery. He's got some of the finest bonsai pottery in the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say and it. His his wife does the smaller white ceramics with the paintings on them as well. So it's Amazing. a whole. They're they're gorgeous. Totally yeah. gorgeous. Um, yeah. yeah. And Evan, you're going to be vending some of our uh, 
Tori's Tori yeah. Solis. Oh yeah, yeah. Art, Speaking correct? of, um, yeah, since Tori uh, won't be able to make it, um, we had her on our previous episode, and I will have some Tori Solis pottery. You guys want to come out and support um, a young and, and inspiring, uh, aspiring uh, bonsai potter? Definitely do that. Um, and then, um, yeah, it's just there's so much going on here. I mean, there's there's going to be a full bonsai show with cash awards. How often do you hear like a cash awards at a bonsai show? I mean, large it's... cash prizes. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be handing out big checks like Happy Gilmore. Um, so I hope they get the big check. That would I, be great. That, that would think that'd be awesome. But yeah, really anyway, exciting. go check out bonsai central you can go to bonsai slash like uh like the little dash central.com and uh go register there's a call for trees and there is a call for people to register go do it it's gonna be a great show i will be there may 3rd <laughs> may 3rd the 5th 2024 sometimes i uh i look at words and they um and the words keyboard, are hard it's it's I get like, a, like a keyboard smash suddenly and i just pronounce everything <laughs> but uh but yeah care guide for elms let's break it down really quick as we get closer to the end here because uh uh, we're running a little well actually we ran really long on a previous episode come to think of it but um we did because we're just goofy goopers like that um but yeah care guide for elms springtime repot season get get on those elms uh get lift at least all of your elms out of the pots every season you don't have to do a full repot on all your elm trees every year but you need to do a soil inspection on your trees. You need to go in, take a chopstick, scrape the first layer of like half an inch down, see where your roots are. Uh, if you're fertilizing with organic fertilizer, scrape that that yummy organic cake off the top of your soil mix so you don't get any clogging. Um, and if you're getting dense root systems, get yourself like a, sh- a tree horn. You know, it's like your shoehorn, but for a tree. And uh, and shoehorn Wedge it out of there. Yeah. Scoop it on out of there, like with your uh, with your shoehorn, um, and check the root system. Inspect the sides, look for dead spots. Um, you can see dead spots in the root system. Usually, got white freshy, freshy looking freshy, freshy. fresh pots, <laughs> fresh roots. roots. Um, God dang. Um, yeah, but you got the white fleshy roots going to be growing on the tips. They should be active during the springtime. You'll see them starting to elongate and uh, and starting to push. And if you have dead zones, they'll be kind of dull, uh, off-white colored, and they'll be a little smushy, and you'll be able to poke it with a chopstick. Um, also, snip the soil. Uh, snip the roots. Okay. Something a lot of people don't do. If it if smells it funky, if it stinks, it's you got a it. problem. Yep, you need to excavate, and you get in there and see what's going on. And you don't have to do a real full repot on your deciduous trees every year, on your elms especially. But if the tree is like pushing up and out of the pot and like the soil levels above the pot and the roots are like obviously pushing and growing through like the mosses you have on top of your soil surface, then yeah, do a reduction, um, do a maintenance, root pruning on it, re- reduce it by 20%. Don't do anything harsh. Don't don't bare root the tree. You never have to bare root elms. They, they actually really hate that. That pushes okay. them back. So keep your awesome, you know, Start by putting good soil in them during repotting season when they're younger. And then once you get Akadama, lava, pumice, whatever soil mixes you choose to go with, um, introduce that in there early and try to keep that root ball nice and tight, uh, tight like a tiger. And uh, and just, you know, that will keep them optimal. That will keep the sheen of the tree very happy. Um, and then you, as you go into the springtime, they will elongate now that we've checked everything out you can do bud selection at this time so you can do some light trimming uh you can cut some heavier branches but i wouldn't do any chunk 
you know, and chop any chunks down. Um, but I would, uh, I you know, I would reserve that for the winter, which is on the flip side of this uh, this care chart. Um, but yeah, you do bud selection, so you can rub, you can literally just rub the buds off that you don't want to develop, or you can cut to the inner node that you want to elongate. And uh, I've heard people say that's the rules of the rule of threes on uh, elm pruning. So you usually leave three nodes because of their alternate branch habit. Uh, so they're not opposite like a trident. Uh, they're alternate. So you have inner node, uh, butt on the left, inner node, butt on the right, inner node, butt on the left. And so you want to choose how that's going to butt out and that's going to develop um, in which direction you're going to have it move in. And then it'll help you reduce and get taper in your branching a lot easier because you can cut back too far. You get one really strong shoot and then you'll get really long inner notes. If you keep three, you will reduce the energy better. If you kept two... You can keep two on the top side of your tree. That will help slow it down. That also will push faster and bigger shoots. You want to kind of slow it down. Um, and that'll help you kind of gauge, you know, when you get into the refinement. Um, and then also another thing you do in the spring, I would do uh, proactively treat for insects. Uh, being an insect that attacks our native elms here is the comma butterfly. Um, and it's its larvae or the um, the caterpillar is the comma butterfly um, caterpillar. It's hold on, it's a brown butterfly. It's a, it's one of my favorite butterflies. The larvae is I like the I like the comma a lot because it looks like a dry leaf on the bottom side of its wings. It's just a beautiful beautiful uh, butterfly. Mm, yeah, those are gorgeous. Um, but their caterpillars are the the stinging caterpillars and everybody hates oh, those. Oh yeah, don't touch. Yeah, don't touch them. I used to touch them as a kid. If you touch them lightly, if you pet them, you're sweet to them. They're like kind of fuzzy feeling, but if you push, that's whenever the the little the poisonous stingers kind of just Whoa. inject into your skin. Uh, but they're really cool. They come in like red and orange and yellow colors, and then they. Uh, but they're if you see them, I usually just take them off and I put them into the wood line because their host plant is our native elm trees. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're just doing their thing. You know, you don't have to eradicate them, but proactively treat for them. You know, you could spray lightly to discourage them or discourage the host's butterfly from visiting your plant. Um, or you can just hand remove them. Um, you can also get mites. Trees that have been overwatered really bad and they start getting kind of a fungusy, moldy sections on their leaves and they have died back. Mites can invade those spaces. So treat for mites. They can completely mess your tree up they cause deformed leaves distorted leaves and unhealthy growth that will result in really bad unhealthy branches so you know treat for those guys root aphids can also be an issue but not as bad as some other varieties like black japanese black pine or called cypresses one of the pests i've had an issue with on elms is um scale scales really bad yeah mm-hmm. scale real bad and then it gets that uh the the honeydew um from the is it the ants that are eating it i don't know or the aphid uh, something i don't know it gets yep. this black sooty mold on it then and it just looks the whole bark turns like black and gray and just it's mm-hmm. not it doesn't like scale doesn't at this level doesn't usually hurt your tree that much you know it's not like gonna kill your whole tree but it makes it look terrible so yeah. scale is something that i've really struggled with on elms Get rid of your scale. Sometimes you'll have to go in and with like your pick, like a mechanics pick, you have to pick the scale off 
It can be harsh uh, on some of the trees because they'll embed themselves into the bark and then you'll have to just pick it off and you'll get past that first layer of bark and you might get some green. But you know, hitting it with a wire brush or killing it with a, a pesticide or vinegar yeah. works uh, <laughs> well on some of these some of these varieties of scale. Um, yeah. But vinegar also helps you combat lichen, which we have a lot of issues with here. I know Pacific Northwest and some other parts of the Midwest. What do you mean? <laughs> lichen. Uh, yeah, lichen is awesome looking. And a lot of people will say they'll they'll go to, to their elms. I'm liking it. I'm, they're, yeah, they're like, I'm liking lichen. And it's, it's I get it. It's a punny joke. But lichen is one of the worst things that can happen on your on your elm trees. What? Why? It intercepts buds from light. Uh, okay. Interse- in especially on the interior of your tree um, but if it's on the trunk like doesn't matter because you don't really need buds on your trunk you don't need buds on your trunk and lichen's cool but i'm i'm gonna kind of go into this like a little bit more of japanese aesthetic sure. outside purist and be like your trunk should be clean um now like having mosses and lichens grown on like parts of your tree and that looks really interesting and it it adds like that ancient vibe because if you go to like at the park and you see a really old elm and you look up in the, into the branches you see ferns and lichen and moss growing on the like the deepest inset parts of the, the canopy yeah mm-hmm. if you're going for a naturalistic style cool sure uh, yeah that, if you're going for like a, a kokofu taikon 10 photographed in a japanese book look generally up. they don't have lichens on them yeah now there are like once you have a certain amount of back budding because that's one of the things that you can struggle with pruning your your elms is if you have lichen and scale intercepting your your buds from light on the interior parts and you don't thin out your tree enough then you'll get these long wispy not wispy but you'll get these uh wispy zops that i'm talking about you'll get these long branches of good movement in them with no branching further back towards the base of the trunk and i'm (laughs) always looking to get back budding it's kind of like how a juniper how you grow the tip out but then you grow stuff further back on the branch to replace those tips eventually in the future yeah same thing with an elm tree. You're always looking to get that back bud that will maybe be, be a better tapering and better branch movement in the future for that branch. And that lichen is going to intercept the light. So get it off of there in the spring. Um, and then, yeah, as you go into late spring, um, if you've got a really top dominant tree, now's the time to start pinching and pruning and really slowing down the top. Uh, organic fertilizer goes a really long way. Um, in the past, I've worked with, with uh, Harry Harrington to kind of uh, use the Danube, the uh, the micro bio- biology, uh, like the the you know the little the supposedly beneficial bacteria and fungus and uh, micro uh, yeah. uh, stuff that they've done there, where it evens out deciduous crowns. I've seen that work, but it also has to work. It works alongside organic fertilizer much better uh, than just simply throwing Miracle Grow on your trees. It's another thing too, feed. But feed with a fair amount of of like organics or a weaker fertilizer in the spring because you will get push like like you'll lose taper and branches and twigs so fast. So fertilize, keep a steady fertilizer on your tree during the summer year, but start start slowing down. And we get into the summer, you really want to slow down on fertilizer because high demand elm trees will grow and grow. And every time that a bud extends in like a hundred degree day evaporation. Uh, is happening and so you can you can actually weaken shoots and branches very easily by overproduction uh so we want to slow down around that time and then as we get into the summer we get into a summer dormancy 
with our elms and they'll actually stop growing all you know, almost entirely in some cases, especially here in Louisiana when it's like 115, our trees just stop. Yeah. And, uh, and I always tell people whenever we're talking about elms in hot climates, full dense cam- cam- canopies on your elms, as dense as you can get it. Now, once you're done growing and you're done back budding, let everything fill in during the summer. Because when you have hardened off mature leaves, you're getting two things. You're getting two benefits from that. You're getting shade and a microclimate that cools the entire tree throughout the summer. And you're getting longevity in those hardened off leaves so that when the fall comes, those leaves will give you a better fall color show. That's True. something that a lot of people kind of overlook when they, you know, because you can do partial defoliation in the summer and encourage some back budding as we start to cool off. But only do that if you're trying to get your tree to a high level of refinement for a show, for a winter silhouette show. But if you're just trying to enjoy the tree for fall color, one of the tricks you can do is leave leaves on as long as you, as you want. Remove large leaves to encourage smaller leaves to take their place and get more energy. And you'll get a healthy canopy and a nice shady, shady habit. Because um, once once the, the leaves are hardened off, it's like once you're when you're extending your shoots, that's that it's almost the same thing as an open wound on a on an elm tree. Like that's it's it's more likely to get diseased, get eaten by a bug, uh, lose uh, evaporation of water through it, and spurt out um, and bleed out um, more than a hardened off shoot. Once it's woody, it's fine. But if it's extending during a hot time of the year, it becomes risky, and it can wilt much easier and die back. And the root connected to it will die back. So if you harden everything off before the the summer gets really really hot, you'll be in the safe zone, and your roots will actually be able to self regulate easier. Um, during that time as well with hardened off shoots. And then as you get into the fall, you can actually do a partial defoliation at this point. Do not fully defoliate unless you're doing a silhouette show. Stop the fully defoliating your trees. Um, that's one of the things I always say. Full defoliation is cool if you're trying to get like a nice twiginess for a, for a fall show or you're trying to build up uh, refinement. But when your trees are having, so like, I always kind of look at it like this with uh, deciduous trees. You always ramp up in, in, in refinement and you're getting towards a show. And then once the show happens, ease off and let the tree grow ragged, cut it back nice and nice and sparse, and then let it kind of fill back in and start doing its own thing and give it some time off. If a deciduous tree is not building towards show, it should be growing freely in a way where you're keeping it refined and you're, you're developing it still, but you're not pushing it. Because but because pushing it with a full defo- a full defoliation during like late summer into fall can really jeopardize the tree's health. It's like it's like doing a full bare rooting uh, on the on the tree during repotting season. You're pushing it into hyperdrive, so be very careful with this. Especially if you've done it every single year and your tree's like getting weaker every year, and you're like, what's going on? Like it's not pushing as hard as it did last time when I defoliated it fully. So do a partial defoliation and practice leaf cutting. I know this is very tedious, but fold the leaf in half, cut up towards the the side of the leaf where you make a, a point at the end and cut the leaves in half. If you have a big leaf, like if you got American elm, got American hornbeam, gets a big leaf on it sometimes. You got Chinese elms going to have this done to them as well. Cut the leaf in half, reduce the overall, um, the overall um, solar panel of the leaf down and redistribute redistribute the energy across the tree and rotate the trees during this time. Uh, they should be rotated in the spring, obviously, when they're growing, but in the fall, it's very, very important as well because everything's winding down, everything's collecting energy at this point, and you want to make sure every part of your tree stays strong. Leaves fall off, wiring happens at this time because you can get 
wire on the branches easier and then go into winter and uh yeah we need to do winter care later because uh i just rambled on about how much i love elm trees <laughs> i remember you're like i don't know if i'll have enough to talk about with elms <laughs> <laughs> it's like my main topic it's like what i work with outside of outside of bald cypress bald cypress and elm trees and then occasionally maple trees uh whenever they're not growing like crap uh because of the heat but yeah um elm trees are great they're really really good it's like what i tell people with uh bald cypresses if you live in the southeast louisiana and you have a bald cypress you're you're doing yourself a disfavor like a you're what's that called disservice a disservice there you go if you're in anywhere where you can grow elms, you don't have an elm in your collection, you're doing yourself a disservice as well. Get I'm an doing elm myself tree. a disservice. I got to get some elms. You've actually yeah. inspired me to to work with some of the natives because Chinese elm doesn't really do it for me, but some of these yeah. natives sound pretty fun. Yeah, they're fun. But yeah, um, we'll we'll visit bonsai word of the week later, um, in another week episode. Week if you want. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not like in a rush. Just oh, okay. Yeah, I'm a little pushed for time today. Unfortunately, sorry. Uh, oh, guys. we don't have. If you if you're pushed for time, we can. Yeah, I'm I'm a little pushed for time today. So um, okay, we'll we'll, we'll do, do a time. word of the week next time. But uh, we'll do some shout outs really quick. Uh, if you listen this far into the episode, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I know we have some people who listen to a lot of the episodes, backlog episodes. There's some really great content back there. Go back and listen on whatever listening platform you're on. Subscribe, please subscribe. It ups the algorithm. It puts us out to the masses better. Um, makes our show look better. Rate the show. Give us a five star rating, please, please. <laughs> that actually that actually helps. Spotify has like a rating system, so five star rating would be great. And a it's a subscribe, you know, and uh, turn on your notifications so you can listen to us every week. We are a weekly show, so we uh, we put out content every single week. Discord is always active. Go over to Patreon forward slash Little Things for little things for bonsai people to become a patron we have one dollar tier if you just want to hear your name at the beginning of an episode we have a five dollar tier if you want to hear your name at the end at the beginning of every episode and we have a thirty dollar tier if you want to have a monthly one-on-one 30 minute session with one of our amazing show hosts and or me uh uh, be me (laughs) yeah i'm not taking myself out of the roster i have to i'll talk to people too um And also you get a little thing shirt, depending on what run, what color and design we have. Just let me know your size and your shipping address, and I will make it happen. Um, go over to underhillbonesizestore.com to go see our little things merch tab there, which is where we have our t-shirts that are currently in run. And then um, you can follow Underhill on Instagram, Facebook, and um, we have a YouTube channel that is very sad and has poorly edited videos. But if you want to put it with bad video quality, watch me work on both cypresses, you can see it there. Um, so, yeah. And then for Carmen, uh, where can they check out your stuff at? You can find me on Instagram at Becoming Bonsai um, and check out the Purple Pot Society, which is the National Women's Bonsai Group. You don't have to be a woman to join. Uh, but our focus is on educating and inspiring women to do bonsai and get involved. Um, there's a Facebook and Instagram for that as well. And yeah. Yep. And then for Mike Lane, which is our, um, we were, jo- I was joking, like, I think on the previous episode where I was comparing our, our cast to like family guy, you get like, uh, uh-huh. you get Peter Griffin, me like every episode and you get like Stewie and, um, and Brian, like every once in a while, you'll get like a mix of the two. So, uh, <laughs> but he's like, he's like our, our Brian. Um, he pops in, says really, really, uh, really informative things. 
really um, profound really profound things and then he just and, leaves and then he's just going oh <laughs> but no no we love you mike we know you're busy um so um but yeah you can go over to ketsunebonsai.com and uh go check out his he's got merch for his ketsune brand um he's got online classes uh seasonal classes depending on what uh, is going on in his part of the world in south florida um and yeah it's just really good resource for learning about shohin he's a shohin specialist very very good uh, bonsai artist um but yeah thanks for hanging out with us this guy this week guys uh thanks for hanging out with us this this guy week this guy um, week this guy's Whatever. weeks um or just, cold medicine Woo. yeah i'm stuffy uh, um my you know me and carmen both kind of sound uh slightly congested and head head voicey but uh it's fine uh, <laughs> Like I said, she'd give you more feeling that uh, listen to this episode outside in like a chilly day of chilly morning with a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so yeah, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, thanks, Evan. It's a good time as always. Yep. Yeah, have a good one. You too. Bye. Da 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 da